Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good Friday afternoon to you. I hope your weekend's off to a great start. Thanks for joining us on Sports for CLE. A little later in the show, John Fanta will join us uh, to talk about the Cavs trade. Uh, they traded away Larry Nance Jr., uh, got a seven-footer that shoots threes in Lori Markinen. We'll talk to John Fanta about that. Stephen Means will also join us to talk Buckeyes. They're getting ready for their opener against the Minnesota Golden Golfers. But we begin by talking Cleveland Browns. Browns practiced early today out in Berea on the practice field, the final workout before the Falcons game. And we take a look as uh, getting in some work, Nick Chubb uh, getting outside, getting upfield, Nick Chubb running the football. Ronnie Harrison wearing Anthony Walker's number four jersey gets the interception and heads down the sidelines. All right, so uh, some news and notes from that practice, the final one before the Falcons' final preseason game. Grant Delpit, Greedy Williams, Sione Takitaki didn't practice. Neither did Troy Hill or Rashad Higgins. Both of those said to be minor. Brown's just being smart with them. Tony Fields was on the practice field for the first time all preseason long. And uh, Odell Beckham Jr. working out in seven on sevens and looking pretty good, especially in the red zone. Kevin Stefanski, true to his word, talked about would the starters play in this third preseason game? A really good practice today in these conditions. It was hot. The guys pushed through it. It's still all part of acclimating uh, for Kansas City because it's going to be hot at Arrowhead for sure. So guys put in some good work this week. Uh, the plan for the game, we will uh, have some select starters play in this game. Baker Mayfield will play in this game. Um, there are other guys that I'm we are going to hold out. We're just making decisions individually uh, based on, on who needs to get some reps, uh, making those decisions based on these practice reps, based on the joint practice reps, based on game reps. So we'll hold uh, some other guys out. I'm just I'm not going to go through who's playing, who's not. I gave you Baker. Um, you got to tune in. You got to tune in Sunday night. NBC wants me to keep it secret. Let's welcome in our select starter, Doug Maurice, columnist for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Um, Kevin Stefanski having a little fun with the media. Um, starters are going to get to play select starters. If Baker Mayfield's playing, usually means the starting offensive line is playing as well. I, I tried to sit this one out, and Dave said, you, you said <laughs> I had to play today, so I'm here. I'm a veteran. I'm happy to sit. But I, I know there's just – it seems like there's been a lot of debate in the preseason of a lot of teams sitting guys out. Other places, you know, I think Patrick Mahomes played a lot in a preseason game. So I, I, I'm curious how Kansas City in week one 
affects this decision. Not that anything in the NFL is taken for granted. There's no such thing as a gimme game. But I've been on record saying I think the Browns will lose at Kansas City and they'll be fine, and that's a tough game. But if you think it's important for the season, if it's important for playoff positioning, then I think you do want to get Baker Mayfield some game reps so that he's not so keyed up that, you know, the first time he's thrown in a game in a long time is at Arrowhead. So, you know, I know Mary Kay Cabot for us has written, she, she doesn't exactly know why they're doing this. And I certainly respect that opinion, but if Kevin Stefanski is doing this, it's because Baker Mayfield wants to do it. And maybe two series against Atlanta is the best way to make sure. I, I don't even know that you have to tune Baker up. I think you might have to tune Baker down, right? So that get out all that excitement because he knows what, how good they can be. Let him get it out against Atlanta, and so it's a little more smooth sailing by the time you get to the Chiefs. Yeah, and again, I, I, I hate to say this, I could have been convinced either way. If you were going to say, nope, don't want to practice, you know, don't want to put him in a preseason game, keep him out of harm's way, okay, I'd have accepted that. If you want him to go, and, and some players feel like they need that game speed, um, and, and you know, the whole lights are on, and okay, I get that. Let me ask you this. What do you want to see? What do we need to see from the Browns in the final preseason game? I don't really know that you need to see much of anything. I mean, I, it, as long as they're healthy, right, as healthy as they can be, but also the guys who are on the edge of being healthy aren't going to play, right? So if there's any doubt about that. I, I don't know that we're going to get a read. I don't know that I need to see anything specifically from Joe Woods and what they're going to try to do defensively. When you have basically the whole offense back, I'm not sure we need to see anything. I mean, it's a great place for for a franchise to be. I, I should have done this story in the preseason. I'm not – even like Kansas City is working at a bunch of new offensive linemen, right? I mean, I, I think you could make a case, at least offensively, that the Browns have as little to show or need to show or work on offensively as any team in the league. You know, that they, they know each other. They know how this works. They have a feel for Kevin Stefanski. He has a feel for Baker Mayfield. So I just think it's working out the reps and I don't know that they have to show much of anything because I just don't think they're, the defense is not going to be completely gelled for the first month of the season, no matter how much they do in the preseason, because you're not going to be able to replicate all that stuff. So it's just reps, man, just a few reps to, you know, loosen it up, get out the jitters and, uh, and then on to the chiefs. All right, so uh, one of the guys, um, and there have been a, a number of rookies and late-round picks, um, you know, Demetric Felton comes to, to mind, who have been very impressive. And, and another one of those is, is the fifth-round pick, uh, Richard LeCount. He talked about his adjustment to the NFL and with the Browns. Uh, I feel great um, learning the system, learning the, uh, you know, plays. Being in Cleveland is a great time. Um, just feeling back 100% healthy. That It's a blessing to be here. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Uh, good things happen when you run to the ball. So whenever I'm uh, on the field, I'm active, um, trying to get, get around the ball and, and be, a, uh, be a, a best uh, teammate that I can be. How, how much of that is instinctive? How much of it is prep? How, you know? I mean, yeah, man, just instincts, you know, preparation, watching film, being able to be up on my, uh, be up on my game, yeah. being able to know what, what's coming from the uh, offense, just being ready. You know, that, that's the main thing, being ready to uh, play this game. And, Doug, that's a guy that, you know, if you're a safety and you're always around the ball, 
you're going to get some attention, and Richard LeCount's getting some attention because he's around the ball a lot. <laughs> I, I'm obviously not the only one who thinks of it this way, but he's the DPJ of the defense. That's what we're talking about here, and I lumped them together because I'm pretty sure I talked to both Donovan Peoples-Jones and Richard LeCount when they were high school freshmen at Ohio State recruiting camps. And those were five-star guys that the Buckeyes were recruiting, and they both chose other places. Obviously, Donovan Peoples-Jones at Michigan and Richard LeCount at Georgia. And, and again, separate stories, but the bottom line is they were five-star dudes, great talent coming out of high school who went to really good programs and were very good players, but maybe didn't get over the top as NFL draft prospects in the way you would have expected coming out of high school. And so the Browns taking them late man, you are taking some high-level talent late in the draft. And obviously, it's a strategy for Andrew Barry, for a lot of teams, too. But you love – it's not a risk, but you like you love an approach like that. And when you start thinking about – you know, I, we don't want to go too far with Richard LeCount, although, you know, depending on what the injuries are in the, in the safety room, he might get on the field this year. But, man, that's exactly the right kind of guy you want to have in the pipeline, just like with Donovan Peoples-Jones. You still don't know exactly what he's going to do this year, going to help him. But, you know, in a future where you, you can't pay all your high-priced veterans, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Richard LeCount are the kind of guys that keep you good. They don't have to make you good because you're already good, but they help you stay there by being late-round picks that you save some money on, that you believe in enough, that by the time they get the year two, year three, year four, you believe in them as guys who can play a lot when they're surrounded by some other high-level, highly-paid guys. So... I'm just going to always think of LeCount and Peoples-Jones in that way. And, and I can imagine him being a guy that people get very enthused about this year, just like people got enthused about DPJ last year. Yeah, and, and, you know, the other thing is the Browns are starting to find those guys late in the draft, which is a sign of a good organization, I think. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's easy. They're in good camp. So, I mean, like, you know, Demetric Felton and Richard LeCount sure seem like great picks right now. Who knows? But that's how you do it, Dave. I mean, you, you cannot keep the same 30 guys together on a run. You pick your pillars, you pick your seven, eight guys that you're really going to build around, and then you've got to cycle guys around them. And if you don't find guys like that, you know, that's that's why I know we'll talk about Mac Wilson a little bit later. It's like Mac Wilson's really important because that's a guy that you hoped, you know, from a draft in a couple of years can really help you. And if, and if you miss on a lot of that, and that's what the Browns did when they were bad. They just didn't get much help like that. But when you hit on it, you look at a guy like Joe Schobert, fourth round pick was a really good player for several important years with the Browns. And then when it became time to pay him, then they didn't pay him and they moved on. But even if that's what guys give you that four or five years, that they can give you while they're underpaid, solid players that makes good teams stay good. Doug Maurice, columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And I'm going to step aside, take a quick time out. On the other side of the break, we'll hear from Kevin Stefanski on the roster decisions that are coming up, also on the kicking situation. Sports for CLE will be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back. Back to new friends, new classroom, and learning new things. Back to wearing shoes, man, like real shoes. Back to rushing to class. Back to having questions. Lots of questions. Back to vending machine dinners. Back to too much caffeine. Too late at night. But feeling like it was a night well spent. Back to pursuing your dreams and taking control of your future. Come back to go forward. 
Tri-SIG, where futures begin. When it comes to selling you a mattress, most retailers are handing you a line, a long line of extra steps that drive up costs and create confusion. At the Original Mattress Factory, we simplify the mattress shopping experience by building mattresses and box springs in our own local factories and selling them direct to you. It's short, sweet, and simply makes sense. So experience more than just the mattress store. Experience an original, the Original Mattress Factory. Talking Browns football, Browns getting ready for the final preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons Sunday night, then Tuesday, cut-down day. Kevin Stefanski talked about JOK playing in that final preseason game and why he won't, as well as uh, some tough roster decisions ahead for he and Andrew Barry. I, I think it's been such a competitive camp for these roster spots, and, and I, you know, I'm so appreciative of the way the guys have worked. Uh, those conversations are ongoing. So, yeah, I think this is all part of the evaluation process. I can't tell you exactly how many spots there are, but, but I do think these game reps are really valuable in the overall evaluation. JOK is not going to play Sunday because of that helmet issue. Is that, I don't know if disappointing is the right word, but I'm sure you wanted to get him as many reps in preseason as possible. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but just make him wear a helmet in the weight room next time. And again, uh, Doug Maurice. Uh, JOK can't play because he can't wear a helmet yet because of the weightlifting accident. Um, so um, tough roster decisions. So that's again, that, that's what happens when you have a good team. Oh, it's backwards. Is it backwards? No, <laughs> Too many it. good players. I'm going to get that trending on Twitter. Follow me at Doug Maurice. <laughs> hashtag Too Many Good Players. Man, I can remember. Listen, I love. Uh, Scott Patsko has one up now at Cleveland.com. Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, Ellis Williams. I love when our Browns people do the roster projections, right? That's my favorite thing. I said we should have 53-man roster projections like from the first day of camp. I do, I do one every day. Can we remember all the times when it's like if you were doing a Browns roster projection at this point in camp, it would be like, well, I've got 49, <laughs> and then I'll assume they, they signed four guys that get cut by other teams because they don't have 53 guys worth keeping here. They probably have 58 guys worth keeping now, right? So like, that's the whole thing. Please embrace the idea of losing players that you like and that you don't want to lose because you have too many good ones of them. This is the whole point. And they're not going to get every single one of them right. You're also going to have to live at some point. They're going to cut somebody right at the end of camp who's going to go somewhere else and be like, man, that guy's starting for them. What were the Browns doing? It's like what the Browns were doing is like having too many good players. So it's a really good spot to be at because there's one thing to have frontline dudes, right? And listen, we're not going to pretend they're all the way down the line 
with one through 53. But again, this is why they are one of the three best rosters in the NFL, top to bottom. It's not just about the top 10. It's about they're really starting to fill in with the second line guys that there are real fights there because they have multiple guys that you think if you need them, they can help you. And that, again, is how you win long term. And the uh, the flip side of it is Andrew Barry may be trading some of those back half of the roster guys for other assets as well as um, areas that he'd like to bolster. Well, Kevin Stefanski talked about the kicking situation with uh, Cody Parkey um, being released and um, Chase McLaughlin, now the incumbent, and how important third preseason game is. Honestly, we tried to do it last week, and they had that sack call on Laletta where we were hoping to get a long field goal there. So there's going to be moments where we definitely want to get some opportunities for our field goal unit, uh, You know, not just the kicker. We want to get the guys being able to block and that type of thing. So, Doug, is Chase McLaughlin the answer, or, or do they look and see if a, um, a bigger-name veteran uh, pops up and becomes available? Yeah, of all the stuff that's making you a little nervous right now, right, I, I think this because so much else is set, this is, this is where you get a little nervous. Now, the one thing is, and I've been thinking about this a lot with Ohio State, I do think we are to some degree entering a world where you should almost never kick field goals. Because I think if you're inside the five and you're going for it, you're almost practically better off going for it inside the five on fourth down. And if you don't make it, you pin that team back and try to flip the field again and go for another seven. And then I think, you know, if you're trying too far of a long range field goal, you're giving up field position. So maybe be really aggressive with a pooch punt and try and pin people back. And then anything else in between, it's like, well, if it's fourth and five or shorter, just go for it. So I do think maybe it doesn't matter that much because I just I can I think you can talk yourself into a lot of situations where you kick field goals in the past where it just doesn't make sense to kick field goals in the modern game anymore that being said man would Justin Tucker look good here (laughs) right that's the thing you go through it's like the Ravens have that guy he's entering year 10 in Baltimore and you can see I mean the Browns have tried the frustrating thing is they drafted Zane Gonzalez didn't work out Zane Gonzalez has just got signed in Detroit in camp he's maybe battling there they tried Austin Seibert didn't work out Austin Seibert Sounds like he might lose the comping t- kicking competition in Cincinnati. So they've been try- they've been they've invested some picks in guys, but I could see this eventually being a place where they just have to go sign a veteran guy that you really believe in and pay some money, right? Because it might be worth it. He might win you the game that makes the difference between you know what seed you are in the playoff. But I, I don't love it where they are right now. And if you said is Chase McLaughlin the kicker? When the playoffs start, I'd probably bet no right now because we tricked ourselves on Cody Parkey for a while. It's not that fun to talk to fans about how your kicker's not bad. <laughs> Remember Terry Pluto writing about it for us at Cleveland.com, just like when he's on, he's on, and when he's off, he's off. And when he loses it, man, you don't want him being your kicker. To paraphrase Terry, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like there's there's like a Cody's good and then he's not. And and I you know, I know there was an injury involved here. I don't know that he was ever the long-term guy. Limited range, maybe solid right in the 40s. Man, I'd love this team to have an awesome kicker. Get Can Jamie Gillen kick? <laughs> I don't know. He can do everything else. But, like, if you had that kind of weapon where you felt like he, your kicker was as much of a weapon as your punter is, again, that's another half step forward for the Browns. I just don't think they're going to get there right now. Yeah, I, I, again, they – I guarantee Andrew Barry is scouring what, uh, who is available and, and just making a little list uh, for future use. All right, left guard rankings uh, by Brandon Thorne. This is um, also a scout. Um, so Quentin Nelson, 
top-ranked left guard in the NFL, Ellie Marpet from Tampa Bay, uh, Jenkins from Green Bay, and then Joel Batonio, um, ranked fourth in the NFL. And, and I think Batonio might be a little underappreciated by, uh, by this scout because I think if he played at a higher profile one, he might even be a couple of spots higher. Mm -hmm. I, I think Joel Batonio is one of the best left guards um, in the NFL. You know, Quentin Nelson is, is, is treated like a god among men on interior offensive linemen. But then after that, right, after him, I mean, you certainly could go Joel Batonio, I think. And, and I just I say that as someone who extensively covered, you know, studies left guards in my free time. So I am a left guard, in particular, an expert on left guards. Anything I'm left, not, right? Not really. Anything I'm left, not. correct? Which, which was my left? Uh but, but I think that's the confidence Browns fans should have in him. And then there's all the intrinsic stuff that Joel Batonio gives you, that he's basically the only leftover from the worst of the worst era here. And he's never wavered. Remember when they tried him at left tackle for half a camp? It's like, what are you doing? It, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, like Joel Batonio's legacy here is, is almost like a Joe Thomas Jr., except he's going to be able – he's getting to take part in the winning in a way that Joe Thomas didn't. But – you got to have a couple rocks, and that guy has been a rock for this franchise. And to say that he is a top five left guard in the NFL, I just think is probably indisputable, whether you know a ton about guards or just a little bit like about guards like I do. All right, uh, before we go to break, uh, Richard LeCount heard from him earlier. He talked a little bit about his relationship uh, with John Johnson and, and how the two have been working together all training camp long. Oh, yeah, man. John's a uh, big brother that I never had, man. Um, you know, like he said, staying in the same building with him, I can go up, you know, anytime. He stay in the penthouse. I don't stay in the penthouse. He stay in the penthouse. I go watch a uh, film with him, you know, go hang out, talk ball, talk life, a lot of things. You know, just, a, uh, you know, like I said, a big brother. Oh, I mean, we kind of jail, man. We got kind of the same, you know, personalities. And, you know, I knew about him from, you know, uh, L.A., you know, and things like that. And so as soon as I seen him, you know, I just try to be like a sponge towards him and towards the other uh, older guys that I see here. And, Doug, it's really interesting because you hear this pretty much with all the position groups. Uh, the young players on the Browns kind of attach themselves to a veteran who willingly and openly is, is trying to kind of – Show them what they need to do to be successful in the NFL. It's a really good situation for, uh, for a team that doesn't always exist. No, again, I mean, we end up talking about how smart Andrew Barry is. When you talk about what they did with John Johnson in the secondary and with Anthony Walker at linebacker, I mean, this is part of what you pay for, right? That you are, you do have some young guys that you need to rely on, but it's like, okay, well, who do you want Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa and Mac Wilson and Jacob Phillips taking cues from. How about a guy like Anthony Walker? Awesome. Who do you want Richard LeCount and Grant Delpit and guys like that taking cues from? A guy like John Johnson. Awesome. And so what you're paying for on the field with a guy like John Johnson is obviously a big chunk of it, but this is what you get too. You know, Miles Garrett can handle some of the stuff up front. You're good to go. You didn't have to go find a guy like that. Clowney certainly can help too, but you know, the back end and, and that's, you know, Ronnie Harrison's a really good player too, but John Johnson's done it, man. And and when you hear a guy like Richard LeCount talk like that, that's that's 15% of what John Johnson's salary is about. You got to go make plays on Sunday. But, man, to think about the people they have sprinkled throughout this roster 
right? When you talk about guys like Joel Batonio and Jarvis Landry and John Johnson and Anthony Walker, that's a winning culture in addition to winning talent, and that's how you do it, man. Doug Lamarice, columnist for The Plain Dealer in Cleveland.com, and I guess step aside, take a quick time out. Uh, on the other side of the break, agents were polled as uh, to the front office, uh, guys they trusted, guys they didn't trust. We'll tell you where that lands with the Browns. Also, uh, some updates on the Denzel Ward contract talks, sports for CLE. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Talking Browns football with Doug Lamarice from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Uh, so Jeremy Fowler from ESPN has this update on uh, the Denzel Ward contract talks. Uh, Browns have looked to extend several core players, starting with running back Nick Chubb. Obviously, that one got done last month. Uh, they've begun discussions with cornerback Denzel Ward, though a deal is considered a long shot as of now. So, Doug, what's, uh, what they're saying is, there hadn't been any progress. Um, that's not a surprise. Um, that market will shake itself out, and Ward, Ward will get one of the better deals uh, in the NFL as a cornerback. It's just a matter of letting that market kind of figure out where he fits into it for Denzel Ward. And I think we've all kind of fought along the way. You might end up paying Denzel Ward like he's a top five corner, even if he's actually a top ten corner. But he also might want to show that he is a top five corner, right? I mean, he he's I think he has a chance. His, it's very possible his best football is still in front of him. And if he shows you he's a top five corner, maybe he'll get paid like a top two corner. So, you know, again, you guys know it. You probably could create a graphic. Doug doesn't care about contracts. I mean, what what is the world where Denzel Ward is not a Brown? I, I just I don't know what that world looks like. But if he's at all, you know, any not that Denzel Ward isn't intrinsically motivated every snap anyway, but if he's not signed to a deal, so he knows every great play, every great game he has, ups his price tag a little bit. Well, that helps the Super Bowl Super Bowl run a little bit. So I, I just I just don't know what it would look like where Denzel Ward is a good football player and he and the Browns can't figure something out. Yeah, and it's important to remember he was a first round pick, so there's that fifth year option. They've They've got a while to figure it out. He's a Brown uh, for the next few years until they get that contract extension done as well. All right, this one is a little interesting. So 33 NFL agents were asked, which front office do you trust the most? Uh, uh, this was written about in The Athletic. Uh, number one on the list, uh, most trusted, George Patton, Denver Broncos. Tied for second on the list, Chris Ballard, Indianapolis Colts. Andrew Barry, Cleveland Browns. 
and again, these are agents, guys, that are dealing with uh, dollars and cents with the GMs. I, that's a huge part of being a successful GM. But Depot is down is down the list. Is that right? Is that oh, coming we'll, up? We'll get yeah, we'll get you there. Okay. I, I got a take on that too, so we'll we'll talk about that. So I don't like thinking that stuff like this matters a lot because sometimes I think that people like old football guys, you know, and it's like, well, anybody who's a little bit different or whatever, it's like, oh, people don't trust me. It's like, well, groupthink, why is groupthink a good thing? Why is, oh, you're just like everybody else. So the idea that Andrew Barry is, seems to be an ideal meshing of old school, new school, football background, analytics background, like is very possibly the defining reason why he appears to be so good at this and why he's also so trusted in a way that I don't think Sashi Brown ever was when he was making the decisions for the Browns because people didn't view him in that same football kind of way. So my initial instinct is like, who cares? But the idea that Andrew Barry has bridged this divide between sort of two schools of, of thinking in the NFL is such a massive credit to Andrew Barry and how he is in some ways unique in the NFL. I, I will take that into account and say, man, like the guy, the proof is in the pudding with the way the guy puts a roster together, but it also seems like the proof is in the pudding with the way the guy handles his business. And that's a great thing for this organization because someone had to turn it around, right? I mean, nobody, mm -hmm. all we ever heard for years was like, nobody trusts the Browns. Everybody hates the Browns. So that he has overcome that based on competence and trustworthiness and being smart and a guy that you can talk to, it's, it's a great credit to him. Yeah, and it's important because when you're dealing with free agents, the agents are the guys that are, you know, you want a GM to be trusted if you're trying to sign a free agent. All right, so same poll, least trusted, Howie Roseman, Philadelphia Eagles GM. Number one, Bill Belichick, call him whatever you want at New England. He's the de facto GM, number two, and Paul D. Podesta receiving votes. And I think you touched on it. I think one of the reasons why agents don't necessarily trust him is because he's analytics-driven. Yeah, and I think they probably think he's a baseball egghead, which is like, well, that's not fair, and that's not no. true. And, and, you know, again, Howie Roseman's not trusted. It's like Howie Roseman, who is like sort of analytics-driven, but also put a Super Bowl roster together three years ago. Nobody trusts him now. And the greatest football mind of all time. Yeah. Like, nobody trusts him. So, like, you know, who trusts agents? Can we have a can we have a poll of NFL front office people about the most and least trustworthy agents? So again, I I don't like to put I know it's their job and they stand up for their clients and it's an important role they play. I mean, one of those things, being voted trustworthy or not trustworthy by a group of agents, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's being voted like, I don't know, <laughs> how sharp your teeth. I'm, I'm going to make a shark analogy, but I didn't know what to say. <laughs> how tasty the fish is if you're a shark. I don't know. That wasn't, it was a bad analogy, but like a lot of me is like, well, I don't trust their trustworthiness rankings. So whatever. All right. Uh, before we go to break, 
NFL is expected to generate $270 million from gambling deals this year. It is projected to be over a billion dollars uh, in the upcoming years. Another revenue stream for the NFL. You concerned about that at all? I, you know, part of me says with the way player salaries are, it's, it's not as big of a concern as it would have been years ago. Um, and again, you know, the, the NFL is just trying to find revenue streams. Keep the billion, 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 billion dollar industry rolling. Yeah. I mean, I don't like it because I just think gambling's a sin. <laughs> I don't really think that. <laughs> I, knew I you guess were I'm not say. making fun of anybody who actually thinks that. Woo! <laughs> Money, baby! Listen, I mean, but better above board right correct i mean like everybody's gonna have gambling ohio's gonna have it soon enough so many states have it now you pull the app up on your phone and you make every bet you could possibly want to make in your life it's just the deal man i mean i don't know i mean like there's some stuff that people didn't like 20 years ago that now is just the deal so it's the deal and then you know the people involved should probably make some money on it so if the league can make some money and then that adds to the pool that you can distribute to the players who knuckleheads out in the public not knuckleheads but we're all knuckleheads i'm a knucklehead anybody out here we're making money because we made a bet on what another person what their skill was and did they do it well or not so if the league's making some money off that and you can distribute some of it to the players and it's all it's more above board than it used to be i mean i just think you're better off having that out in the open then then like you said you know the implication of well back in the day if the players weren't making as much and the guy on the side could pace i just don't think that's much of a as, as much of a threat anymore and it's happening so why doesn't you may as well structure it and and tax it and everybody makes the money off of it absolutely and and i get where the nfl is coming from because people are betting significantly more on their league than others so um yeah they should find a way to to garner revenue from it. Doug Maurice and I are going to step aside, take a quick time out. We'll hear more from Kevin Stefanski on that third preseason game and uh, also every team's best offseason move. Straight ahead when Sports for CLE continues. Stay with us. The Ohio Lottery Partners in Education program recognizes role model students and teachers from across Ohio. Nominations can now be done completely online. To nominate a deserving teacher or student, go to ohiolottery.com. In the About section, find Partners in Education. There you will find links to the nomination forms. Students, kindergarten through 12th grade, can be academic all-stars. Teachers can be honored as a Teacher of the Month. The Ohio Lottery Partners in Education, where stars shine. Welcome back to Sports for CLE. We continue talking Browns. Browns getting ready for their third of three preseason games. Uh, first year where it hasn't been four, uh, but Kevin Stefanski still viewing this as an important preseason game. I think it's football. I think we're you know, trying to be smart about everything we do. Uh, that's why I think the joint practices are so important because it's a controlled environment where our ones got close to 60 reps versus their ones in, in a controlled environment. So it's all part of it. You, got, you have to the way you practice and then the way you play is, is similar and it's all it's all good work is the way I look at it. I, I think all of it factors in. There's a ton of considerations when making our decisions about our, our team. Uh, this is the third preseason game. I see it the exact same as the last 
previous year's third preseason game where we just don't have a, a game next week where mostly would be younger guys. So uh, the way I see it is it, it's just a third preseason game. And, Doug, the, the thought used to be the third preseason game was kind of the dress rehearsal where the starters got more playing time and um, the starters or select starters will get some preseason time. So uh, Kevin Stefanski just saying um, he's kind of viewing it as the old way of the third preseason game. He's smart. Like, I think that's because, like, the fourth, I think all fans, most of us got a rhythm of the four preseason games. This was this, this was this. The third preseason game was that. And then the fourth preseason game was maybe guys on the edge of the roster fighting for a last spot. But that helps clarify it to me. It's like, okay, well, they just cut off the fourth game. That's what they lost. Now you have to make your final, final, final roster decisions just based on more on what you saw in practice and stuff. You don't get that one more game to see it. But I'm pro dress rehearsal. I'm, I'm pro dress rehearsal. So I think the idea that to pull it back so far in the preseason that you wouldn't have anything that really that really reflected that dress rehearsal philosophy, I do think probably would not be the way that I would go. And it's not the way Kevin Stefanski is going. So um, I think we had to get a feel for what the new preseason will be like with three games. And, and I think that helped explain it. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, again, the guys calling the shots there in Berea with uh, Stefanski and Barry have kind of earned, should have earned the trust, just the, the way they've operated. So if, if that's what they want to do, I, I'm, I'm on board. Bleacher Report, every team's best offseason move. And uh, for the Browns, drafting Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. So here's what happens with post-draft stuff. All anybody does is say, this was my personal big board before the draft, and wh whatever player got drafted way lower than where he was on my board, that is that continues to be, that's how you get an A in the draft. That's how you get this kind of stuff. I would still go John Johnson, right? That I, I mean, I just thought, now I'm reflecting on what I thought previously, but it's like I thought they needed a safety who made a difference who could be a playmaker on the back end, who could help sort of, you know, calm things down. The safety play last year wasn't good enough. So when they started free agency with that, that to me, that was like, that's it. That's a winning move. And, and of course, this is great. But we're still, you know, this kind of, of analysis is just still reflecting on the fact that everybody thought he would be a first-round pick, and he wasn't. So now you just think it's great, great value. But also, credit to him, certainly has looked apart when we've seen him. So I, I guess I shouldn't say it's only based on that pre-draft analysis, but, um, you know, it's still a lot of it, but the guy also looks like he can play. I've been watching some Notre Dame highlights from last year for some stuff. And it's just like, man, that guy, I mean, he, you really see why when he's at his best, he, he makes a difference when he's on the field. All right, before we go, we're going to have a little bit of fun. So um, we've heard a couple of times from Richard LeCount, rookie, uh, fifth round pick of the Browns. Um, so uh, let's take a look. Richard LeCount uh, showing off some new shoes today after practice. Here's Richard LeCount. Oh, yeah, I love these cleats, man. These are my most prized possession right now, man. OVJ got me right, man. <laughs> we good. Uh, I just got them not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, breaking them in. You're going to wear them or are you going to like have to sign them and keep them? Oh, no, I'm going to wear these. He gave them to me to wear, so I got to wear I got to, you know, show them off a little bit, make some plays. OBJ cleats for our fifth round pick at, at safety. And it, 
again, you know, a, a vet like that gives a, a young rookie cleats, and, and again, it's it builds that chemistry that you want to, to, before we get really silly with it. He was excited about the cleats. I, I was impressed with that. I, I, veterans, I think, have a sense of young guys that they think have a little something to them, right? And so for Richard LeCount to be talking about how John Johnson has taken him under his wing and now Odell Beckham's giving him cleats, great players recognize something else in other players. And I think you can see how Richard LeCount sort of handles himself like a guy who has been like a, a big-time dude kind of his whole life that, you know, this is his deal. And most, I mean, listen, you're the NFL. Everybody's been a big-time dude. But he doesn't. He doesn't come across as a fifth round pick. That's for sure. And I think we've seen at times in college, he doesn't, he didn't play like a fifth round pick. So it's like a nice package of things that I think you like the way Richard LeCount seems to be embracing opportunity in the NFL that he's, he's grateful for a guy like John Johnson helping him out, but you can also tell he's got a little something and got some confidence in himself. And, you know, it feels like if you want to buy some stock in Richard LeCount might be a good time to do it. Yeah, I, I think uh, much like NFL quarterbacks, that stock's only going up. Uh, Doug Lamarice, columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, as always. Appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks very much, Doug. Thanks, Dave. All right. Make sure you read Doug Lamarice, columnist in the pages of The Plain Dealer as well as on Cleveland.com. Um, we're going to step aside, take a quick time out. Uh, Cavs involved in a trade. They get... Lori Markinen from the Bulls. John Fanta will be along to talk about that trade. Sports for CLE will be right back. Stay with us. Sports for CLE continues. Time to turn our attention to the NBA and the Cavs. The Cavaliers involved in a three-team trade involved a sign-and-trade. So the Cavs give up Larry Nance Jr. They get back Lori Markkinen from the Chicago Bulls. It, the Blazers also involved in this three-team trade, and that's where Nance heads as the Bulls get Derek Jones, a Blazers lottery first-round pick, lottery-protected first-round pick, and a Cavs future second-round pick. The Cavs get Lori Markkinen. He will be uh, under a four-year, $67 million contract that he signed with the Bulls and then got traded to the Cavs. Let's welcome in John Fanta. So, John, the Bulls give up. Larry Nance Jr., a really good defender. They get Lori Markkinen. Pretty good shooter is the thought process. When you look at this trade, how do you break it down? What are your thoughts? Well, it's not so much about Lori Markkinen. Uh, it's more about the fact that the Cavaliers now have money locked up with Jared Allen, with Kevin Love, with Evan Mobley, uh, their first-round draft pick, and now with Markkinen. Lori Markkinen making $67 million in that neighborhood. 
you're paying him money that says starter, starter money in the NBA. And I'm not sure if Laurie Marketing is that talented of a player. Two years ago, you're talking about someone who averaged 19 and 9. Uh, I, I think that the fact of the matter is this. You just traded away one of the heart and soul guys of your franchise, Larry Nance. All right, he's been injury prone. I, I get why he was a trade piece. He was thought to be one of the Cavs, uh, one of their more valuable assets to potentially deal. But I have mixed feelings because the question that needs to be asked here is, how do you have this much money locked up in a front court table that is frankly full? Laurie Markkinen could be a talented player. He still has room to grow. The Cavaliers add another player, Dave, who's under 25. In fact, Markkinen's well under the age of 25. But the question that you have to ask is, does this deal make sense for the Cavaliers? I don't think it does in the here and now. It could down the road, but Laurie Markkinen is another power forward on a team filled with power forwards. And so... I'm a little bit perplexed at the nature of this deal. When you look at it, who who's the who's the three for the Cavs? Is that is that kind of the question you're asking? Dave, is it you? <laughs> uh, you the jumper? I don't know. I, no, look, I'm gonna guess that part of the approach here is to have Isaac Okoro on the wing. You have Sexton and Garland maybe playing alongside him, and then you go with a bunch of different frontcourt depth. There's also a theory out there that we could see Evan Mobley play some at the three. But again, Evan Mobley is is seven feet. Uh, the Cavs believe that he could be a point-forward type of player, and they're going to play through him. They're going to play their offense through him. But with the amount of frontcourt options – in a league that is filled, the best teams in this league have outstanding players at the three, okay? And it's just a bit ironic that for the Cleveland Cavaliers, they had the best three of all time in LeBron James. And since him, they really haven't had anybody that plays the three position naturally and naturally well. So Laurie Markkinen, again, it's not about Markkinen. Like, I think he's a talented player. He shoots the three well. Cleveland needed perimeter shooting. But they better not be done. And I don't, I don't think they're done yet. Um, there were rumors out there they were searching for another player before even trading Larry Nance. But they have to find a serviceable wing. Here. There's some talented pieces, but in the backcourt, the Cavs are undersized. And in the frontcourt, they have so many chefs in the kitchen. So what's happening? What's happening? It's perplexing right now. You know, the, the size, in theory, one school of thought, would say that that allows them to play both Sexton and Garland and not, and not necessarily worry about it because you got Mobley who can kind of erase guys trying to post up. You, you've got... Allen, who can, in theory, erase guys. Markkinen's a big guy, but I don't know that you, you really think defense when you think of uh, Markkinen. That is the key to this trade that, that has me wondering what exactly the mindset 
is because he's not a guy with a lot of lateral quickness. Um, that's the one con to Laurie Markkinen's game. Defensively, he's been a liability. So you really can only play him on an opposing four. Oh, wait, you have Kevin Love. Um, and you have Evan Mobley now, and you have Jared Allen who will play the five and, and will be the steady guy at the five. So it's just one of those things where you say, okay, where are we putting marketing on the floor? If you're the Cavs coaching staff, it makes sense from a defensive perspective. And if you are playing him at the four, that means you're, you have really a, a conundrum at the three, but, but the fact is marketing wasn't going to play the three because defensively, we just summed up uh, who he is as, as a defender. I think he's filled with potential, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who's two years removed from averaging 19 and 9, and he's in his early 20s. So for the Cavaliers, they're betting that they can develop Laurie Markkinen even more. And I think Laurie Markkinen's ceiling is higher than that of Larry Nance Jr. Yeah. So with that in mind, that makes sense. Uh, but... In terms of the Cavs roster, there are some holes here. And Markkinen as a defensive player, that's one of the cons for a team that just drafted Evan Mobley in a major effort to try to get better defensively. All right, John, let me ask you this. Does the trade for Markkinen indicate a buyout of Kevin Love is coming? I think it does because when you're as young as the Cavaliers are with the amount of talent that they have under the age of 25 and you combine that with the reports of last season, Dave, those very real reports that we saw from sources, cleveland.com being one of them, that Kevin Love and the locker room were not meshing uh, the best. There were some issues. There have been reported issues. I talked to Cavaliers brass out in Las Vegas at NBA Summer League a couple weeks ago and there was definitely a sentiment. They still hope and they wish that Kevin Love can work out as a Cleveland Cavalier. But I think that hoping and wishing is also an acknowledgement that this contract, frankly, has not worked out according to plan. So with that in mind, the organization is, is in a place where the buyout, that's the most ideal route at this point for the Cavaliers. You're not going to be able to trade him for anything. You might just have to swallow that lump and, and do the, what you have to do with this situation because the idea of Kevin Love having a role and being a part of the long-term plans, that's out the window. The buyout's the most realistic thing, and I think getting marketed for Nance uh, is something that definitely, definitely shows that that could be on the horizon. John Fanta, as always, appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks very much, John. And uh, again, John Fanta. All right, All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick time out. On the other side of the break, we will uh, shift our focus uh, back to football. Stephen Means, Buckeyes beat reporter, will join us. Sports for Cielli, he'll be right back. Stay with us. The Ohio Lottery Partners in Education program recognizes role model students and teachers from across Ohio. Nominations can now be done completely online. To nominate a deserving teacher or student, go to ohiolottery.com. In the About section, find Partners in Education. There you will find links to the nomination forms. Students, kindergarten through 12th grade, can be academic all-stars. Teachers can be honored as a Teacher of the Month. The Ohio Lottery Partners in Education, where stars shine.
Sports for CLE continues. We shift our attention back to football, college football to be exact. Ohio State Buckeyes will open the season less than a week Thursday night uh, against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Let's welcome in Buckeyes beat reporter Stephen Means. And Stephen, before we talk specifically about uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, college football 12-team playoff on life support, according to West Virginia University's president, Gordon Gee, who was at Ohio State. Uh, apparently, comments made to the student newspaper who was doing an interview with him, and it concerns the stability of college football, um, actually the instability of college football at this time. What do you make of all this, and, and do you think the 12-team uh, college football playoff is, in fact, on life support? Yeah, I think life support is a bit hyperbolic. I think it's more just delayed, I guess is a better way of putting it, because when the SEC put a wrench in everybody's plans by announcing basically a 48 minutes after the 12-team the, the playoff stuff came out that Texas and Oklahoma were coming in to their conference in the very near future, now you have to rethink some things, right? Because all of a sudden, if you've got a 12-team playoff, it's a possibility that six to eight teams are SEC teams, and you can't have that. You can't have the SEC dominating college football to that degree. You know, when we got the opportunity to talk with the Pac-12, the, the Big Ten, and, and the ACC commissioners back when they announced the alliance, they kind of hinted at something similar. They didn't go as crazy as it's on life support, but it's more just we have to rethink some things, and we have to make sure it's right. So we'd rather slow things down. So maybe it's not around by 2023 the way maybe some of us thought it would be, maybe it's more 2025 or 2026, but the, it's not on the 12 team playoff is coming. But now that Oklahoma and Texas have done what they've done with the SEC, and now that we have the Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC Alliance thing that's coming down this pipeline, as college football is basically changing before our very eyes, think people have to rethink things. So I think that was a drastic phrase to use, but the idea that it's going to slow down the process of how quickly we get there, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think it um, something as simple as you limit the amount of teams that come from any given conference um, is what the solution is to that? Because otherwise you're, you get conferences getting cannibalized, which basically happened to the Big 12. No, I, I just think you have to... You have to make it competitive. You have to make it feel like everybody has a fair shot at this. In an ideal world where the top four seeds get bye weeks, and then obviously you figure out what you know five through twelve are going to do. But it just has to be competitive. And you, by limiting how many people you can have in per conference, that kind of puts some some shackles on it that shouldn't be there. But it has to be competitive from all sides. It has to feel like the top fifteen, the top twenty teams in college football have a realistic shot of getting in there. And not just the SEC, where if you have three losses to in the in your in your schedule, but because three of those three losses are against SEC teams, where it's probably Texas, Alabama, and Georgia, or whatnot, you get more of a say into the playoff than let's say the the Pac-12, you know, whoever finishes second in that conference. So I don't think there needs to be limits, but I do think it needs to be competitive, which is why it was very important for the other conferences to respond to what the SEC did this summer. Okay, fair enough. All right, now let's turn our attention to the Ohio State Buckeyes getting ready for the opener. C.J. Stroud uh, officially named the quarterback, something that we knew, you knew, you told us uh, a week ago. Um, what do we expect from him, and, and is there going to be a ramp-up period for him, do you think, or, or does he hit the ground running? It, it's hard because he's not throwing a 
past in college football. So logically, you would think, all right, it might start out a little slow. It might not look that good against Minnesota. Maybe there are some bumps and bruises against Oregon. But by the time we get to Penn State, by the time we get to the Michigan game, he's kind of rolling and looking like a guy who might put his name in the Heisman discussion. Or it could just be another Justin Fields situation where he comes out the gate and he's just balling. Both of those things are on the table right now. He has that level of talent. DJ Uyungleye and Bryce Young were the only two guys in his recruiting class from a quarterback perspective who were rated higher than them, higher than C.J. Stroud was, and they were starting quarterbacks at Alabama and Clemson this year. So there's a part of me that thinks he's not that far off from what they are, maybe from a talent standpoint, that if people think that those two are going to be in the Heisman discussion and Alabama and Clemson are going to be competing for a national title, why wouldn't C.J. Stroud put Ohio State in the same position? So this first game is going to be interesting. I know that's maybe a cop-out answer, but I think he'll be fine. I don't know if he's going to look like Justin Fields from day one, but I don't think fans should think the, the sky is falling based off whatever perform, performance we see next Thursday. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, Ryan Day is going to figure out how to make his quarterback play well. That's, that's why people come from all over the country to play quarterback for Ohio State is Ryan Day. And on top of that, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, <laughs> the two best wide receivers in the country. This offensive, Thayer Munford was probably the best left tackle in the country, and now he's playing left guard. So Nicholas petit Frere, who might have been the best right tackle, can play left tackle. Their new starting right tackle, at least perceived, is a seven-footer, basically, in Dewan Jones. And Paris Johnson might be the best offensive tackle recruit. Not saying he's going to turn into Orlando Pace, but from a, from a recruiting standpoint, he is the most highly coveted left tackle since Orlando Pace, and he's playing right, right guard. While your starting center is a former five-star recruit coming out of high school, and then Travion Henderson, I mean, they call him baby Saquon, and he, yeah, he kind of runs like that as well. So there's plenty of weapons where C.J. Stroud could just be a game manager in Ohio State to win the Big Ten this year. All right, um, you wrote about Ohio State safeties. Uh, take us through that and, and um, what's intriguing about those guys. So we've, we've been hearing about this bullet position basically since Ryan Day took over the, co the head coaching job, and we haven't seen it. We've seen Sean Wade in the slot. We've seen three linebackers with Pete Warner as your Sam linebacker, and then he moved the Will linebacker in 2020. We've seen Baron Browning. We've seen Tough Borland, and we've seen Justin Hilliard and Lee Harrison. Now that we've kind of got a reset of the linebacker room, a reset of the defensive back room, and Ryan Day is now three years into this where he's gotten a chance to go through some recruiting cycles, we get to see what type of defense he actually wants to run. And it's less of a 4-3 and more of a 4-2-5 where it's two inside linebackers on the field, which uh, guessing by how we've seen in practice, it's going to be Taraja Mitchell at the will and Cody Simon at the Mike linebacker with guys like Dallas Gett and Kayvon Pope working in there as well. But we finally get to see the bullet this time with guys like Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young, who are two totally different bodies types. But the whole point of that position is you're either a linebacker who can do safety things or you're a safety who can do linebacker things. So those are two guys to watch along with Port Williams, who did he tore his ACL last year, but maybe would have been the starter at that position as a true freshman had he not done that. So those are the three guys to watch there. And then obviously they've been in more of a single high look. Josh Proctor is going to be the starting free safety. And the position Sean Wade held in 2019, we now have a name for it. It's not a slot corner. It's called a cover safety. But you're basically doing slot corner things. You're going to be over the slot receiver, but you can also come back up there and help up the single high safety. But there's only two wide receivers on the field. It's guys like Cam Martinez, Lathan Ransom, and Marcus Williamson who are going to be working in there. So it's, it's just... 
in this age where teams are a threat to throw the football, especially once you get into the college football playoff, you've got to have a way to combat that. So having a bullet, a cover safety, and a free safety along with two outside corners is where Ryan Day clearly wants to go with this defense. All right, before I let you go, ask you real quickly, what do you think the biggest concern for Ryan Day is um, as he's less than a week away from the opener uh, against Minnesota? I don't think anybody can be overly confident about the secondary yet because we haven't seen it. Last year, I mean, Demonte Smith was what he was, but he had 200 yards in the first half. You can't have that happen. Michael Penix, Indiana's starting quarterback last year, had over 400 yards in that game where he was just throwing bombs all over the place. Is it better? Because right now, I mean, it's, it's the same guys minus Sean Wade. So the question at this point is, have some of these young guys like Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos, who have now had a chance to have a normal spring, a normal offseason, now in their second year in the program, can they step up and help out? Can Cam Brown, now that he's returned from his Achilles, torn Achilles last year, is he going to have a, a bigger impact this year? There are some guys out there who think that Seven Banks might be the next first-round corner for Ohio State. How much of that is the reputation that the room has had over the last decade, and how much of that is real where Seven Banks is maybe make, ready to take a jump? So the question is, is the secondary better than it was last season? Because if it's not, well, they're going to get into the playoff, and then guys like Spencer Rattler and JT Daniels and DJ Oyungle are just going to tear them apart once again. But if it's better, this team can actually compete for a national title. So that's the question. Is a secondary minus Sean Wade, can it be better than it was in, in 2020 when it was just god-awful? <laughs> Stephen Means, Buckeyes beat reporter. As always, Stephen, appreciate the time and the insight. Make sure you read them in the pages of The Plain Dealer as well as Cleveland.com. Stephen, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. All right, Stephen Means, Buckeyes beat reporter. That'll do it for this edition of Sports for CLE. We will see you again Monday. We'll talk plenty of Browns as the Browns and Falcons wrapping up the preseason Sunday night. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you again Monday at 4 o'clock on Sports for CLE.